world where laughter was king on the edge of space. Get together, have a few laughs. Bastards of the universe. Welcome back, everybody, to the Cinemasters of the Universe podcast. It's me, your host, one of your hosts, the one who sits over to the left, usually, your rental king, Ron Avis. Good to be with you guys. All you cine amateurs out there, bow down to the Cinemasters of the Universe. And today, we're going to be mastering the 2001 science fiction film, Donnie Darko, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and some others. And joining me to talk about this movie is the man whose commitment to sparkle motion should never, ever be in doubt, Adam Peterson. Ahoy. No one ever says anything about sparkle motion around no. you because they're any frankly <laughs> as someone who's not only a teacher but also a parent and the only person here who transcends uh the parent teacher line i can openly criticize anyone's commitment to sparkle motion that's <laughs> just how i roll oh god that that actor is I mean, she's phenomenal, phenomenal in this. I, I've been seeing her mainly in. Uh, I mean, I've been binge watching The Office a ton lately. Uh, and I know right where you're she, going. Isn't she? <laughs> I think that's Dwight's. Uh, in multiple episodes, she she plays like Dwight's former uh, babysitter, yes. and uh, Dwight sort of uses her. Well, they have sort of a, a like a. It's this sort of open relationship sort of thing where they can call upon each other. For she was his date to the favors. dinner party at Michael <laughs> Scott's house. Yeah, the famous dinner party episode from yes. the office. She shows up in tow. Uh, he just calls her up. They have a, I think he calls it like a clearly carnal relationship or some really off-putting way of putting yeah. like <laughs> their the, the best way to describe it. It's all physical. <laughs> at, the, at the end of the date, he just drops her off at the bus compound. <laughs> Doesn't even drop her off at her house. Yeah, it's no. This is clearly lives. This is clearly the way this has to work. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, Donnie Darko. Uh, another one of our uh, episodes in the series of uh, that we do in February movies that we love. Uh, last week, I talked about Napoleon Dynamite, and you teased that you would be picking Donnie Darko as your first selection yes. for this month. So I'm going to hand the keys over to you so you can drive the podcast mobile. And uh, I, I look forward to taking the co-passenger uh, seat role <clears throat> in this episode and talk about Donnie Darko in a fun way. Because I know you've been doing tons and tons of digging into this movie, back into this movie. Yes, and, uh, I was... I, you're, this is going to be a, just an informational deep dive. I was our... I was enjoying it tremendously. Like yeah. the, uh, this is and one of the things, and I'm glad that I stuck with this one because <clears throat> I know when we do movies we love, it's like we both have plenty of movies that we love. But yeah. I was like, you know, I really there's not a lot of opportunities where Donnie Darko is just going to fit into one of our formats. It's just it's mm -hmm. one of those out there kind of movies, and so. 
<clears throat> as I was watching it the other day, I was like, oh man, I love this movie. It's just, it's such a good movie. It's, it's a, it, I remember, and we started to talk about it last, last time in the teaser. I remember seeing the trailer for this. <clears throat> it was at the beginning of one of the, one of the, when I was back in my blockbuster days back in 2001. Um, and I remember when, uh, I don't, I wish I remembered what it was that I was watching. I saw, I saw the trailer for it. I was like, oh man, I can't wait for that movie to come out. And it yeah. really wasn't, but a few more weeks after that, that we had it in, in, in the branch. And I was like, oh my goodness, I just saw the trailer for this. And I was happy because I got to watch it. It, it wasn't yeah. what I was expecting. It, it really gives off that horror movie vibe, but I was like, yeah. this movie's incredible. Yeah, Frank Frank is really unnerving and a little off putting. Yes. And his it's he's kind of got that ghost face sort of simplicity yeah. to to the the imagery. Uh but you know, but it's this like kind of spacey rabbit, I don't know. <laughs> yes. I, I'm with you there. I this this is one of those movies you definitely are dying to recommend to somebody. Uh, I, I think we've talked about this in the past. I mean, you know, we both have spent a, a significant amount of time working behind the counter of the uh, video store. Yes. Uh, you, you mainly at Blockbuster. I, I worked briefly at a Blockbuster, but mainly at one of those like mom and pop type deals, you know, where there's like a couple of locations in a city. So I've, I've had a taste of both sides of it. But one thing that you really enjoy, and if you're like us, I mean, we've had an appreciation for movies for most of our lives. And uh, a good chunk of that has just there there along that road. I just always assumed I would either work in a theater or at a video store, but I had to do something because I wanted to be I wanted to immerse myself in a in a job where I could just talk about movies all day long. You know, you romanticize it a little bit in that way. And uh, other jobs that I would have died to have had would have been like the arcade oh, operator yeah. guy. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, what better job could there have been back then? Uh, in, in working at a, a video game store, which I also did that too. So two out of three ain't bad. And, uh, you, you would, you would, you was like, people would come up to you and say, well, what do you recommend? What do you recommend? This is one of those like feathers in the back of your cap. That yeah. You just know, probably nobody's ever heard of. And, uh, th this, this movie came to me, us, uh, you know, on just word of mouth. Cause I don't think I remember seeing trailers for it at all either. Jake Gyllenhaal, I, I was did October Sky come out before or after this? Or are they like? I think October Sky was before this, because I think he okay, was still so like a, a teenager when he was in that. Well, he was Bubble Boy, I guess. First yeah. of all, wasn't he? Bubble, Bubble Boy, yeah, I so, think, is where. Uh, if he gained, I mean, I don't want to say gain notoriety from Bubble Boy because it was Bubble Boy, yeah. but I think that was one of the ones <laughs> right. where it was like it was. I mean, maybe more of a mainstream movie that people were at least familiar with. Yeah. They weren't familiar with him. Yeah, I don't it was think... one of those like, yeah, just for teens kind of movies. Yeah, probably got a lot of, you you know, if you're watching channels that teens are watching at that time, you got a face full of Bubble Boy. Yes. So you saw him, you knew who he was, and yeah, you're right. You probably identified Jake Gyllenhaal with Bubble Boy more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> and that that movie is like, I mean, it's it's not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination. It has it's its not moments. Terrible at it. It has its moments. It has its moments. <clears throat> I think the first place I remember seeing Jake Gyllenhaal was uh, he played Billy Crystal's son in City Slickers. Mm. He was just Is a that lad. Right? Oh my gosh! 
Just a I haven't seen laugh. City Slickers in a long time. Not since, not since the like HBO days when it was always on HBO constantly around the clock. I don't doubt I've seen it since then. I it's been a couple of years. I I, I did. It was like <clears throat> I'll have those. It was like oh man, I gotta watch City Slickers. And so I'll go on Amazon. Yeah. It's like oh City Slickers is only five Bruno bucks. Kirby. I want to watch City Slickers. <laughs> yeah, and then of course I was like, I know that it's not gonna hold up, but I gotta watch City Slickers too. The Legend of Curly's Gold. Get some Obviously. of that John Lovitz. Oh but yeah. Well, who did he replace? Did he replace? He replaced uh, Bruno Kirby. Bruno Kirby. Yeah, yeah it was because uh, was it was that Billy- because I don't know if he just didn't want to come back for the sequel. Because yeah. I mean, it was it was a far cry from the first one. It was just I mean, because it was Billy Crystal, oh, yeah. John Lovitz, and. Uh, um, Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern, and yeah. then they're like, "Ah, oh, we're so seeing we had all that Home Alone heat, yeah. still, <laughs> and bushwhacked, <laughs> yeah, high off that bushwhacked right. paycheck." Hey, man, I've seen that movie quite a bit of times. It's, it's a fantastic, very watchable. Film. It's very watchable for those, yes, it like '80s style, like you know, we're we're going into the woods, yeah, and the adults are something's going to happen to the adults, and the kids are going to save the day. The- Background checks. <laughs> We don't need that kind of information. He's wearing a jacket. The, he looks fine. It's still one of my favorite roles from uh, Kevin Bacon was the one where he played like that insane uh, Boy Scout type guy who took all those kids. And it was Sean Aston. Sean Aston was one of the kids. Oh. I was like, I think it was called like White River. I don't know. But it was great. But he plays kind of a villainous character. Oh, uh, was. was was that the River Wild? Like 80s, like I mean, it's like he's like a counselor, right? So he kind of, you know, he's he he could easily be in a Friday the Thirteenth movie. He could be one of those counselors. He was in but, Friday the Thirteenth. He was the original <laughs> crossover. Yeah. Holy shit, Kevin Bacon, man, that's why they made it invented a game based. Yeah, because right? uh, you never know where Kevin Bacon's going to show up. He was in the River Wild with Meryl Streep, where he was a he was a villain, and they were whitewater rafting. But I don't remember if it was well. For my while you talk about Donnie Darko some more, I'm gonna go ahead and research. The <laughs> we're on a Kevin Bacon tangent. <laughs> All right, guys, we were gonna talk about Donnie Darko, What's but going? right now we are. Oh, uh, we buried the lead again. We're gonna ramble Bacon through some Kevin Bacon movies. Welcome to circle the back around to the pilot dr- episode of you know blabbing about bacon. Yeah, blabbing about bacon. I like that. That's a spinoff for us right there. <clears throat> I could do that all day long. Uh, we could right, so have bacon loose, sizzling in the silver, background. White, Whitewater Summer is okay. the name of the movie. So not the Came River Wild. In, no, not a River Wild. No, this this has got Kevin Bacon, but it also has Sean Astin in it, and it's from 1986. Well, there you uh, go. Constantly on cable back in back in the like early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Awesome, awesome Kevin Bacon movie. Blabbing about bacon, episode one. Blabbing about bacon, kids. <laughs> we're, t- <laughs> we're not even going to talk about Footloose in the first episode. No. We're going to talk about this movie. <laughs> this we're, yeah, we're going deep cuts right from the deep, get-go. <laughs> going deep cut of bacon right yep, here. Just get you some of that mm, deep cuts of bacon. Oh, my God. I know this is like episode like 73, 74, but now I just totally want to abandon this thing we got going. Just all about bacon. <laughs> just doing all Kevin Bacon podcast. Drop drop us a drop us a uh, a like. What what is it that kids do? They drop likes. <laughs> the like and uh, find subscribe. Us, find and, us on the Twitter sphere, um, folks. 
Smash the like button and subscribe. Adam's got a TikTok channel. He does hilarious dances. Uh, <laughs> something. Drop a comment or I don't something. He he jumps milk crates. He does it all. Yep. So every the is the universal official TikTok channel. Every fad there is. I've I've done it. <laughs> got them all. <laughs> We're doing them all one by one. <laughs> Drink a gallon of milk in an hour. That's still a thing, right? Oh, oh, what a what a crazy fad that was. The milk vomit oh. joint challenge. <laughs> that one hey, never panned it beats, out. It beats the like going into the grocery store and licking the lid of the ice cream. Oh. Yeah, that, that one's that's one we don't need to revisit. <laughs> I'd rather you just kick Oof. me in the balls as rather than yeah. that, you know, silent killer, whatever that would be. Just, yeah, we did the God, shopping cart. People in the do that lot. just so they might get a like or two. <laughs> so that <clears throat> so they might get a they might get a few kaboings. Yeah, you can you can push right. me full speed into an island in a parking <laughs> parking lot out of a yeah a shopping cart before I go in and start licking ice cream lids. Ah, All right, we got this bacon sizzling. I suppose I should do, uh, here's the way to get us back on track. Let's do our housekeeping. We got the housekeeping right up at the, at the front. And the housekeeping. Yeah, you can will, do housekeeping. Go for it, The man. housekeeping will bring us back to where we wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So we got Donnie Darko. It was released right. uh, October 26, 2001. Um, and depending on where you look, uh, there was a couple, I mean, a lot of places say the budget was six million, but I'm going four and a half million because that's what, that's what Richard Kelly, I've, I saw it once or one or two places and that's what Richard Kelly himself okay. says the, the budget was in the commentary. So I'm going four and a half million. I don't know if there was an additional million and a half when they did the director's cut or what that fee, what uh-huh. feeds into that six million, but Richard Kelly himself on the director's cut commentary said the budget was four and a half million. Um, well, you know, not to take sides, but I think I would take the director's side if if they're gonna if they're he, gonna vouch for that. He seems like a reliable source. He yeah. was he was only twenty four at the time, but he seemed like he was really in the zone when he was making this. Um, the heat the heat coming off Richard Kelly after this the success of this movie was yeah like, he. You know, Cause, never really, never really matched it. I guess. <laughs> well, and because I was promise was definitely there. He was one of the younger, higher, yeah, like he was, directors of that time. Because uh, they they uh, they debuted this at Sundance, <clears throat> and at Sundance uh, it got it got a lot of buzz. Uh, but it took them, I want to say, it was like four or five months after Sundance for somebody for um, New Market to pick it up and distribute to theaters. They almost they were kind of bobbling between going straight to video or debuting on stars Mm -hmm. and new market picked it up and, um, they, they were the ones that distributed in in theaters and it wasn't, it was only in theaters for a short while, mostly because, Mm -hmm. um, with the release date, 10, 26, you're month and a half outside of September 11th. Um, and you got a movie, Dealing with airplane failure, oh, just one of those things where it's wow. like kind of a Ooh, just the yeah. a victim of the timing of it all. So, oh, you're right. You're so right. yeah, they they didn't. I mean, the opening weekend was uh, one hundred ten thousand four hundred ninety four dollars. Um, People were. I mean, I hate to put the break on the podcast, but I mean, no, 
People were just tense about anything. Everything. Related. Yeah. Back going back to that, uh, that frame of time, like everything was just like, man. Yeah. The world was a different place. It, it really was. And you think like, wow, why would they not? I mean, it's not like the plane didn't really fly in anything, but it's just the, uh, anything involving a plane, especially of one of those 747 varieties. Yeah. Super sensitive. So yeah, that is a victim of bad timing and, you could completely understand how they might want to kick this just to video and cut their losses since the budget's pretty. I'd say the budget at that. I mean, your your expectation is probably just to break even with a movie like that. <laughs> I mean, you always want to make some money. Oh yeah, but and it it did. Uh, I mean, I know most of the time we we really don't give too much credence to the uh, outside of the domestic on it, but the total worldwide. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> on Donnie Darko, and there's been a couple of re-releases uh, in theaters, but the the total uh, worldwide is just shy of seven million. So um, that, and I know it be with it being a cult hit. I mean, I've yeah. I think I'm on my fifth copy that I bought on disc. The and I have one in my Amazon cart now because it's in 4K. Arrow did a 4K uh, version that I have the special edition Blu-ray that has the regular the theatrical and the director's cut. And a book that comes with I, it. One of my favorite all-time DVDs was that uh, Donnie Darko DVD. And uh, one of my favorite commentary tracks from, you know, that DVD comment, like the heat of that era, was this, this one with uh, Kevin Smith. Yep. He, he uh, was a guest. Because, well, I, he had to have, was did he have any uh, creative ties to this film or was did did he was he involved in rewrites with uh, this? I think uh, I think it was not not initially because the uh, the weird kind of the weird thing about it was um, when it was released. There's a theatrical cut of it, obviously, and uh, uh, Richard Kelly. He, I mean, he's not dissatisfied with that. I mean, you know, you hear director's cut. I mean, a lot of times it's not like the director's like, yeah, what they showed in theaters was a far cry from what I wanted. This is what I wanted. He he stands by. He says, the theatrical cut was, you know, was the movie. He's like, I'm totally fine with that. And really the director's cut, it has a lot of the deleted scenes from the uh, the theatrical DVD release just added back in. He saved, uh, I don't know. He didn't say specifically in the commentary, but he saved a handful of things that he they didn't put in the theatrical DVD, um, mm. just so that because he he was envisioning maybe ten years down the road come back and do a director's cut. They did the director's cut in two thousand four, so it was three years after this came out in theaters. Yeah, they came, they and the studio asked for it. They said, "Can you come back and do a director's cut?" Right, and I think it was because it did so well uh, in the home <clears throat> in the home video market. And became yes. such a cult hit that they realized, okay, this is we can really capitalize on this, but I don't know that we can capitalize on it if we let it go a decade. Right. Yeah, and there's even a sequel to this movie, but uh, I, you know, I kind of sniffed it out early on. I was like, oh, well, this isn't going to have anything to do with... <laughs> At least maybe the Jake Gyllenhaal character, there's something to do with him in there, but I guess it's more, it probably more just goes into the, the looping, the time traveling aspect of Donnie Darko and not, I've, I've thought one character in the series of things that had, cause Donnie Darko is 
one of those movies where it is a cult classic, but there are just hundreds and hundreds of videos and deep dive, like Reddit, you know, like walls of sentences of people who claim to know what Donnie Darko is about. And they, they get really far into it, like into the, the weeds trying to explain what everything is. And like, I, I don't know if I got any of that necessarily the, even to this day, honestly, this is how deep some people go into this, but like what to you, what is Darty Darko about? Like if you had to describe <clears throat> it and you, I'm sure you back in the day you did try and describe it to someone who hadn't seen it before as you're recommending it. But how now would you describe Donnie Darko? Like what, what is it about? Like what's the point of Donnie Darko? I would say, <clears throat> One well, one of the things that makes Donnie Darko a little bit easier to digest at this point, <clears throat> I will kind of credit the MCU with, simply because um, some of the concepts when you're when you're thinking of them um, in two thousand one, I mean they're not mm-hmm. new concepts, but right. they're I mean a lot of times I mean like you know. They, I mean, they made the joke out of it in Endgame <clears throat> where, you know, t- oh, time travel movies lied to me. You know, I was like, oh, yeah. we were just all kind of under the assumptions. Like, here's how time works it's the, because we learned from Back right. to the Future and this and that. And uh, I, I know, I mean, Richard Kelly, I mean, some of the research he did was he uh, he read, uh, I don't know how if he read all or part or um, the, but Stephen Hawking's, <clears throat> his book, um and I just lost the name of it. I know his movie is the theory of everything, but it's not, that's not the name of his book. Um, mm. but his book deals a lot with, uh, time travel, uh, you know, the wormhole and the, the, you know, kind of what professor Monotov talks about with, uh, Donnie in the movie. Um, you know, you fold time, uh, in half and you, you bridge the gap from one point to the other. And you're able, if you can go fast enough, you can cut across time because you've cut across space. You know, you've shortened yeah. the distance from one point in space to the other. And so, right. <clears throat> but in this, because the, the other part of this is you have this whole tangent universe. And one of the things that I think is really helpful about the director's cut um, that I do really like is the director's cut splices in a lot more um, information from that book. The <coughs> Are you talking about the theory of everything? Is that the book you're thinking of? Uh, it, yeah. If if that's what Stephen Hawking wrote, um, what, whatever his book's called, I can't remember the name of his book. Well, there's one called The Grand Design. That's that's more recent though. Let's see that a brief history of time. Yeah, a brief history of time. That's, history time. that's the one. Oh, is that the one? Yeah, okay, that's the okay. One. That's where he talks about gotcha. time travel. And, uh, okay. Okay. so, cause the other part of this, um, which kind of, I mean, really it's funny, but there's a lot of it that ties in with the Loki series that you yeah. have, uh, cause the, the explanations, there's excerpts from the, uh, the philosophy of time written by Roberta Sparrow in the movie, grandma death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have excerpts of that in the director's cut that kind of help give more, framing to what's going on why things why certain things in the movie are important um i think the movie really like miss like the the theatrical cut misses out a lot from yeah like little framings from that book that i like that a lot and i was missing it and because you know i was just watching 
Donnie Darko that you get from HBO Max, right? Just like the yeah. theatrical cut, the you know the one that most people see. But yeah, if if you get a chance, definitely check out the the director's cut. It's not like that much longer. I don't think. No, there's there's twenty twenty minutes different. The runtime right. of the theatrical is one hundred thirteen minutes, and director's cut is one hundred thirty three. So there's twenty minutes more, <clears throat> and it really does. Um, it really does frame. I mean, because it's, it's one of those like I feel like this is a movie that you either instantly love and want to watch multiple times, or you just go, yeah. "I don't get it," and just want to move on. And if you, if it is it, one. Of, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say it does seem to be one of those movies where people do like to 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 theorize about whatever yeah. that means, and that makes it a lot of fun to just plug in those new parameters to like what people believe the movie's about and you can rewatch the movie and try to see it from that point of view like it it allows for that type of repeated viewing i think well and especially <clears throat> especially when you're able to watch the film unfold with kind of an idea of what's going on like when you're watching in the moment and trying to decipher it like you're trying to take in the story trying to understand what's going on and so you're kind of right there in the moment trying to figure it out as it's happening. If you are watching it with kind of a lens of understanding as what's happening, like you get to the point in the movie where Donnie starts to see the, the streams that come out of people's chest and you right. like, it's, was it's kind of a weird trippy thing at first, but when you understand that this, he can now see the direction that everything is going to flow. Like, you know, nobody else can see this. They're just going right. about their business, thinking that this is just okay. When his, when Samantha's free will, yeah. free will is pulling me here. Exactly. Not, yeah, <laughs> and not some kind of predetermined, you know, because that's that's the whole thing for Donnie is <clears throat> Donnie's the only one that's aware that a tangent universe has been created, and he's not even a hundred percent aware of it. When so does he? So you think he is aware that there is a tan? Can you okay explain the tangent universe? to any of our listeners who are completely unaware of what yeah. the hell you're talking about. So <clears throat> at the beginning of the movie, you have, um, I mean, Donnie, Donnie wakes up on the side of the road. You know, there's something that's already, I mean, Donnie's kind of clearly got some kind of issues or something, something different going on with Donnie. Yeah. <clears throat> he's and a, he's a troubled youth. Yeah. Is what you get the impression from and looking at him. The, the way in the commentary that, uh, Richard Kelly kept putting it as kind of the, the deus ex machina, the, the, the God in the machine that is represented kind of by Frank throughout most of the movie. Um, there's, mm -hmm. there's some kind of mechanism that has identified Donnie as the one who's going to correct this universe. Yeah. And so what happens is um, you have, you have the event where Donnie leaves his bed and the airplane engine crashes down. Boom. It's supposed a lot of theories I was reading refers to Donnie as something called the living receiver. Yeah. Have you have you have you read any into any of this? Stuff? I I I would like it because uh, uh, Richard Kelly because uh, a lot of a lot of the the specifics of it are just fabricated from Richard Kelly, and he wrote right. he wrote a book to go along with the movie, and it has. Uh, I don't know how many chapters, but there's. I think there's supposed to be excerpts from the uh, the uh, philosophy of time travel. 
And so mm-hmm. he's he. There's no book to just go along with it completely, but there. I think, and that's one of the things throughout the director's cut. You'll see some of those things where <clears throat> you have like the uh, uh, the there's what are they? There's the dead, um, the something dead. There's the each of the people in the movie. Kind of, yeah, they call them like they're manipulated. Yeah, dead yeah, the like manipulated that. dead. The manipulated. <laughs> There's a term. Yeah, and so the, and th- the manipulated dead are like uh, Frank, right? Is, yes, because like Frank would be, Frank would be one would be considered manipulated. Oh, maybe not. Yeah, right. because like, I, I've, like, I thumbed through it. I, I skid through it. Like, whoa, I skidded through this a little too fast. I probably need to go back and reread this a few times to kind of get it. Well, and that's because, like, as, as you start going through it, and you start seeing how all of the events that happen are interconnected, and they're dependent upon one another, they're all yeah. leading Donnie towards the point. Because, <clears throat> uh, and the, I think they do it better in the in the uh, the director's cut too, where you get to that end point in the movie, and everything reverses. Like it just kind of the flashback through this, you know, you get those little quick yeah. f- flashes of scenes of the movie. And what yeah. you're supposed to be understanding there is that, okay, we've reached the end of this tangent universe and Donnie's bringing it back to the inception of it. And this is where this right. branch of the timeline gets carved off. And I, I think what you were, what you were saying about the back to the future, back to the future thing, the whole, most of the timeline of Donnie Darko is that part when Doc Brown is explaining to Marty yeah, how there was like the regular timeline, and then uh, Biff steals the almanac, gives it to himself as a younger person. That creates this tangent universe, yeah. where everything that Marty in his, I guess in this, you know, this Donnie Darko universe, they call it the primary universe. Yeah, just like the the pure timeline, basically. Exactly. And the 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 this there are things and mechanisms as you say that get put into place when these tangent universes happen and they're they're there to correct the tangent universe and then it just kind of goes back to what it should be which i guess i mean you you read all these like interesting fan theories and i'm like i don't know how much of this is just completely really imaginative posters or if there's any like truth from from like the source like they're like oh uh, you know like i've I've read lots of th- Richard E. Kelly books and like, this is what he says. So like, he's the authority on this. So you got to believe what he says. Cause it's, he's the, the creative father of the story. But I, I like the idea that there are certain people in this tangent universe who are kind of sleepily aware of what's going on. so they're there to kind of nudge Donnie to, to the, his inevitable conclusion, which yeah. is to climb back into bed and have the, the the engine fall in his bed, killing him and correcting the the timeline. It, it's it's science fictiony as hell. Well, and you really, when it because one of the things that uh, that he and Kevin Smith both bring to it is the kind of the comic book aspect. Because Donnie Donnie realizes in the end because he sees the whole picture. Yeah. Um, because because there's I mean kind of that play too on. You know, for Donnie at the end, it's like when he's laughing in his bed is, is 
Donnie, you know, is this because, you know, there's the completion of this mission? Is it that, mm-hmm. you know, is he interpreting everything as a dream? You know, there's there's a lot that's open to interpretation. But at the same time, like, when you go back through at, for, for Donnie and being the one who's kind of on the inside of all this and it has figured out what is going on, he realizes the sacrifice that has to be made because his mom and his sister are on the plane that right. cra- that that's the en- where the engine comes from and that cuz that's the whole thing well they know, did they say that they well in the in the tangent universe they don't know where the engine came from at all like it was played out throughout the news like this is a mystery we don't know but so in in the are we saying so like did did that engine fall from his the airplane that his parents were on in the primary universe is that how it works the the engine and then that plane crashed <clears throat> because planes can lose an engine and still land technically i think the 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 funny the funny thing about this and it uh, like it, it almost couldn't have come at a better time because i just finished watching the show fringe uh we talked about that a little bit offline five seasons of it it's on hbo yeah. uh i would probably give it maybe like a c plus um, give or take. I mean, the last, the fourth season, I think, ended up being one of my favorites. Tentative recommend. <laughs> um, it, I mean, like, if, if you've, I had, I had never seen it, and I was curious about it, and so I was like, all right, I'm going to see this through the end. There were some of the, the 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 drama, some of the storytelling was a little much for my taste, but it was the part of because it started out with kind of like an X Files kind of vibe, which I really enjoyed. But yeah. then, then they got really into this whole. There's two different. There's there's the alternate universe. There's the universe they live in, and then there's this other universe. Yeah. And in the other universe, there's uh, for almost everything, and not everything has a direct one to one copy. But there's in, in the other universe, there's uh, there is for many things. There's. Oh, in, in, in this instance, there would be another me in this other universe. And the some of the stuff overlaps dramatically. There was one episode where there was a guy who he was a professor of criminology that studied serial killers and they used him. <clears throat> they, you know, they didn't tell him they were taking him to the alternate universe, but they took him to the alternate universe to look at the, the, the place where his other self is actually a serial killer. Oh wow! And so they were using his intellect from the primary universe to try and catch the serial killer in the alternate universe. And so there's the, but the thing is going between the two, you would have instances where somebody would come from the other universe and they were like, they would try and look they're like a, a car might come through a portal and they're trying to figure out like, okay, hey, where did this car come from? So they run, you know, the information on there's like, there's nothing in any of the databases. Well, it's because it's from the other universe. And so in that same way, when the engine comes through, <clears throat> the engine is from the tangent universe. Cause the whole movie we're watching that tangent universe happen. The tangent right. universe is what, where his mom and sister end up on that airplane. And for the tangent universe to close its loop because that universe can't exist it has to close the loop. And so the engine comes from that plane that his mom and sister are on, but it comes through to the primary universe and kills Donnie, which prevents that series of events from happening. So because that, Mm. because Donnie dies in the primary universe, the series of events that were necessary, Donnie never gets to the point where he burns down Jim Cunningham's house that keeps Kitty Farmer from going on the trip. So his mom and his sister are fine. Okay. 
So that's how he closes it. Yes. Okay. So it's it's very I like that's where it's like okay I know that Richard Kelly wasn't just like slapping stuff together. It was like you guys are reading way too into this. It's like no, he wanted. Oh no, to- there's like there were some for sure yarns. Yeah. Like like being stretched across pin boards down in his basement. <laughs> yeah. He, and, and that's, I think what I appreciated about it and what, what you can really get out of it is like, okay, there's a lot to this. And, um, because I mean, one of the things uh, as I was watching it and one of the reasons why I really do recommend it, the director's cut, I think really is, I mean, I know a lot of, I mean, there's, it's not like all of the moments are, are aren't in the theatrical cut, <clears throat> but, throughout the throughout the entire movie like there's a couple of moments like donnie has a couple of moments with his dad and he has a couple of moments with his mom he has moments with his 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 older and younger sister and it's like i i really just love i love their family like their fan mm-hmm. like there's such a i mean it's such like a, a real family yeah they're yeah. such a real family but like there's some really sweet meaningful moments where it's like donnie's dad is like i know i don't get you and it's i know like- it's like growing pains, but through the yeah. reality lens. Yeah, it like really that is. Family was what growing pains was in the eight, late eighties. This was probably the more realistic version of that family. And it, I mean, it's cool that you know, that Donnie and uh, his sister Elizabeth are played by Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I mean, that helps. That helps. That, They're that both makes, immensely talented. Yeah, I love those two. And th- I mean, like, <laughs> and that John and Joan Cusack sort of way. Yes, exactly. And you get <laughs> they're a package deal. They always come together. You you get that in that dinner table conversation <laughs> right at the right at the beginning. Where, yeah. where Donnie tells Elizabeth, it's like, you can go suck a fuck. No, he calls oh, her yeah. a fuck ass, and she says, you can go suck a fuck. Yeah, how, do you, how does one and how is that? He's like, I, I love it. He's like, I'm all ears. Just his the way that he sells that. And then, cause, and I love, I love their dad so much because he laughs at all the really inappropriate moments. Because that's what dads do. He's it is like he's like and he's such a good dad too. Like that's one of those things I know. The like I mean, I'll I'll be forty next year, and so anytime anytime I watch anything where I'm just like this is is something's pro dad. It doesn't have to be anti mom or anything. It's like just where it's like, hey, this dad's a really good dad. I just love. Yeah, there there aren't a lot. There aren't a lot. And so and I love Donnie we Darko's just, dad. We just assumed that all fathers were just deadbeats. <laughs> it's kind of the way it's played out and, in, in media. And I love because there's, oh, no. I mean, there's. I'm I think blaming there's, the liberal media. What's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I swear to God. <clears throat> I think there's like two or three times throughout the movie because after after the the scuffle at dinner dies down, you have Samantha just kind of in that little sister role. She goes, "What the fuck, ass." And dad kind of snorts and laughs. And then you have yeah. the moment later in the movie where, you know, they're having the conversation after Donnie's told Kitty Farmer she can shove the card up her ass. And he's, oh my God. He just kind of coughs, pretending like he's covering up the laugh. And I just, uh, it's, he's really good. He's such and a I good really dad. Like, uh, Mary McDowell, uh, McDonald. In this oh, movie she's too. fantastic. Like, She's got like this really strong kind of like Kevin's mom from Home Alone, like yeah. Catherine O'Hara. She's got that kind of same like awesome late eighties, early nineties mom thing yeah. going on. Hugely, hugely eighties mom thing going on, and I love her because she really good character. She loves Donnie to death, 
but yeah. she's she's so exhausted because she doesn't know how to help him. Yeah. And that like that's oh, man, I almost cry every time when like Donnie and his dad, what is it that is towards the end? And he asks him like, am I crazy? Or yeah, when he sits down, he's like, me? he's like, no, you're not crazy. I used to be crazy. Those, those moments. And then like, uh, there's like uh, 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 towards that's the end. That's not exactly the, the moment I'm thinking too. Like he, he says, like, let's see. You, you, I'm sorry, you go on. No, I, I, I gotta try he, and pull that up. He has where, um, like, when his mom's getting ready to leave uh, to go with him for um, uh, the Star Search thing, and, like, they kind of have their moment. Because he, he has his moment early in the movie where he's angry and he lashes out at her. Um, so they kind of have this reciprocal moment where they come back to it and they kind of, there's this, you know, there's it's more of a loving moment and then when he's seeing him off and he gives his sister a big hug right before they leave mm. is like i just i mean it's one of those like he feels like he should be so detached from everybody and in a lot of ways he is mm. i was like e- even when you have that uh that little one-off between uh monotov and pomeroy uh noah wiley and uh, drew barrymore where he's just sitting mm. there and he just goes, Donnie Darko. And they both just sort of laugh. Like every, I know. They just kind of, I know, right? <laughs> they're just like, you know, what this kid, like what, what, who even is he? And yeah. I mean, he's got I friends. Like and I love, I love Drew Barrymore in this role. It's such an understated role, but just her being in it lends so much credence to this movie. Well, she was, because she, she was the Donnie Darko character kind of back in the day when her growing up, you know, years, adolescent years. She was integral in getting this movie made too. She, Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. Her, her production company, flower production is one of the production companies that helped, uh, finance the movie. Um, I forget exactly where it was. It just, just, the script made well, good it good for her for just sort of playing a side character too. Yeah. Man, that shows a lot of respect. She was uh, to the creators. Like she didn't force herself into like the Maggie Gyllenhaal character. Role yeah, no, she, and she was, cause she was really into it. She really liked it. Um, and, uh, it, it was funny cause they were joking. They, about- they play like the more liberal, cooler, you know, yeah. In, in touch with the student teachers at this private school, I guess you just, it's like a private school. Yeah. You know, uniforms. I, I love the, just the high school, the high schooliness look of this movie. And I'm sure Kevin Smith probably had a lot of, Oh yeah. Know, he, he, he's like another one of those guys who just nailed like the aesthetic of high school in his heyday. And yeah. The, I, I love the, the way that the students are, you know, portrayed in, in this movie. Like they're, they're all no, no one student gets a ton of attention except for Donnie, but you got some pretty interesting actors and things going on. Oh, Seth Rogen pops up as one of the, you know, I, I I hate to call him a bully because he never really bullies anybody, but he does seem to be friendly with the antagonist of the movie that yeah, he mulleted rat kid or whatever. Cause he, he, like, he seems more like, um, he's just kind of a dick. Um, he's just smoking cigarettes in the back of the school. Yeah. Right? That's what he does. And the, <laughs> it's one of like his buddy. He could be dangerous. He could be dangerous. Oh, cause I mean, they, they're doing the whole thing where they're trying to rob, uh, grandma death at the end. And clearly, um, what's his face? Um, the other one, uh, Seth 
uh, Seth is far more into the violent aspect of it because he's got a knife and he's got Donnie on the ground. <clears throat> and right, right. Ricky Danforth, who uh, Seth Rogen plays, is like, dude, there's a car coming. He's like, he's just like, he's along for the ride. He's, right. which it's funny because this is the first, he was, the only credit he has before this is Freaks and Geeks. So this is the first feature film he's ever been in. Uh-huh. And his very first line of dialogue ever in a movie is, I like your boobs. <laughs> like that's his very first line in a movie. The, I think I've, I know I've talked to you about this and it's, it's freaks and geeks is one of those series that just, you know, I, I know that you and I have talked offline numerous times. Like sometimes you just resist a thing that's universally accepted yeah. as perfect. Uh, you resist it a little bit so you don't get around to it right away. And freaks and geeks is definitely one of those things for me. Like I loved all, all, all of the talent that spawned from that show. I love all those. those There's so much good that came from that. So much good that came out of that. Even even like characters that were just barely characters in that show got tons, like a mileage and credibility that they just milked for decades. I mean, seems like honestly, like I I would say character like busy busy Phillips busy like Martin Starr. She's wonderful. I love her. Like I knew that girl. It, it that in that like late seventies early eighties. Yeah, like I I remember girls like her. <laughs> she perfectly nailed that character in I will, that time. <clears throat> I will almost go out of my way to watch something that has Martin Starr in it, just because <laughs> he is awesome in that. His I mean his dry I mean like because <clears throat> like I loved him in Silicon Valley. He yeah. was. He, uh, I love that, him as the teacher in the Spider-Man. And, the, and like, that's the thing that's so great about, I mean, like you wouldn't think that a guy like that would have one. that much range, but it's like, he no. totally plays both of those. So, and they are, yeah. I mean, they are polar opposites. I mean, they're both kind of nerdy guys, so it's yeah. definitely in his wheelhouse, but the character wise, yeah. completely different people. Well, I like him in adventure land too. Like, he's Oh yeah. That. He's, I mean, um, I don't think there's been a role that he's played that I haven't really enjoyed him. He plays a lot of bit roles. No, same, same, but he's they're, fantastic. They're, they're, they definitely really, they, he, he just, they're mostly the same always, <laughs> but, but enjoyable. And he does, he changes it up just a teensy little bit and makes it work. But my, my point with the Rogan was like, for most of that series, I thought he was like, I was like, how did, because Seth Rogen now, I have like such a high respect for him. You know, I, I think he's come a long way as an actor, yeah. a long way. But he's but you also knew him as like a really prolific writer and just really capable of keeping himself in the business uh, by writing excellent material for himself. Just one of those guys. And so to see his very humble beginnings in Freaks of Geeks and also his performance in Donnie Darko is similar to the way I saw him in those first couple episodes of freaks and geeks. I didn't really like there. There's so much like we know Seth Rogen the way he is now. And there's there. He, he clearly was trying to project himself as being this bad boy, but yeah. he's more of a nerd. Like you buy oh, yeah. him as a nerd, a hundred percent. And one of those guys. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. He should have been on the geek side, not the freak side. in that show <laughs> he could be, he's a coolish nerd, but he's definitely a nerd. And, uh, I, I just, I love that he went that way with his career and didn't stick to the whole, like, I gotta be a tough guy, you know, cause that's not what he's great at. 
not really. And although I do love him as in, in uh, the observe and report, I think oh, he yeah. definitely can play that. Oh yeah. Like dark sort of disturbed mentally kind of unstable guy. Yeah. The, uh, uh Paul Blart on steroids. <laughs> I love that movie. We're going to have to get around to that sooner or later. That is a pretty fan. That one might be going for April Fool's. Just saying. Might not be a bad choice. Might not be a bad choice. Uh, well, so where where were we, man? Like, I know where I was asked you to sort of talk about what Donnie Darko was, and I think that's how we got to where we are right now. That's how crazy this movie is, trying to, ex- to just well, we, explain it. <clears throat> we, got in, we were kind of jumping around on the cast, which, um, yeah. I mean, really, like, it's funny for... It's a great cast. For such, I mean, again, it's, I know we've talked, I mean, there's, I have a, you kind of have a hard time calling it an indie movie when it's got a four and a half million dollar budget. Um, That's true. But, I mean, it's, it is one of those where it's like, okay, I mean... But indie movies got bigger budgets back that, then. Yeah, this I mean, like, that's by 2001, your indie right. movies, I mean, people are still making movies for a hundred grand, 200 grand, you know, less than a million dollars. But I mean, you still like this is. It's funny that this is a movie. It was, they put four and a half million dollars into, and they were having a hard time getting a studio to distribute it. And it's like, mm. okay, I mean, I mean, you you're not. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal is not a household name. It's like Maggie Gyllenhaal had done a few things by now. Well, Patrick Swayze by far, yeah. I think, is the biggest. And he he was not a big star when this movie came out, but I think. I mean, he arguably he and Drew Barrymore had the biggest careers. Yeah, I guess you've going. you've but got recognizable neither, faces. Neither one were huge stars anymore. Like they yeah, were more Drew Drew. As, well, I mean, as you said, her production company was had a big role in making this movie. But she she definitely was being known for because I mean she also had a big role in making those uh, Charlie's Angels movies. Yeah. So that was just sort of the direction he she seemed to be going. Like I'm gonna be like producer director i'm gonna give that a try well and, and that, she was transitioning into that that was that was one of the things that uh richard kelly and kevin smith were both kind of laughing at is like this is the second movie that they undertook in their production company the first being never been kissed so it's when i was like <laughs> if you were gonna put out uh, a spot for the movie like from the producers of never been kissed comes <laughs> donnie darko it's like Okay, these couldn't be further from each oh other. My God. Like, yeah, they're far from far from across the room. There, they can't. Yeah, but there is like especially when because at one point in the commentary, the they, producers have never been they uh, they bring up um, uh, oh why did um, Breakfast Club Pretty in Pink? Why can't I think of his name? What's that? The Breakfast Club Pretty in Pink. Uh, Home Alone. Why well, can't I think of his name? John Hughes. Oh, John Hughes. <clears throat> I'm like, I, I was, I was thinking more actors. Like, yeah, what um, actors are we connecting the dots well, here? They, they brought up John Hughes, which I think that's one of the things I, I liked about this is it, the, there's, I mean, especially being set in the '80s, it has a a kind of twisted John Hughes. Well, hey, vibe John to Hughes it. is your original Marvel MCU guy, right there. I mean, they, yeah, he was interweaving a whole universe himself before there Shermer, even was Illinois. Marvel. <laughs> yeah i love that i love that connective tissue but like you have because um you have you have that family unit that you get introduced to in the beginning which is good because yep. you kind of have your foundation and then you have that really awesome tracking shot 
that starts where with the bus um, and you've got the cameras oh, is, is upside down and it kind of twists around. The guys are coming out of the back yeah. of the bus. It's at a 90 degree angle kind of, and oh, it straightens out and it like, but Donnie pops out of the back and it's to that Duran Duran. Yeah. Oh, no, no tears for fear. Uh, God, well, like, so it's, it does have this like great late 80s sound. Yeah. Cause what well, doesn't the movie take place? Is it 87 or 88? 88. It's 88, isn't it? Yep. Is it's, it's taking place right around during the time of uh, the Bush uh, Dukakis. Bush Dukakis. Right, right. Yep. So that would have been 88. Um, but there, there are some great music video like sequences in the movie. And I, it, it's so stylish. And that is king of all that and the sparkle motion. Oh, love. yeah. Now that is Duran Duran notorious. Uh, is it Tears for Fears? That, do they do the head over heels? Is that who? I so I'm horrible with music, but that sounds right because okay. I know I know they I had love to the soundtrack for this movie. So yeah, good. they when they did Mad World. Holy shit! Oh, the, yeah, the Gary Jules everywhere. Mad World is uh, <laughs> that's the perfect punctuation mark to this movie. I mean, it just it is. that whole sequence is just it was made I mean, for this movie. I yeah, like. I'm like. There's not a lot of times where I would bust out and, and describe a scene in a yeah, movie. Yeah, head over heels is tears for fears. I was like, uh, the the closing sequence because because the whole thing because you you get to that moment in the movie at the end where because right before that happens, you in the director's cut you have the explanation that people who are um, f- people who are represented from the tangent universe may have residual memories or dreams or or visions from that universe. So you have that whole panning of all of these people Mm -hmm. who are sort of in this dreamlike, did that happen? Like, do we, you have his therapist wakes up and she's kind of having this moment like, wait, wait a minute. And you got, yeah, Frank, he's got the drawings of, uh, of the rabbit and he's kind of, he, he touches his eye and, You've got all these right, different right. people because he got shot in the eye in yeah. the tangent universe. So you've got all these, and because um, the the one thing, and it was funny because I hadn't I hadn't necessarily realized it. I mean, I've watched it before with with the commentary, so I'm sure I did before, but I, it hadn't stuck in my brain. But um, in correcting the tangent universe, uh, Cunningham gets away with it. That's yeah. You know, it's kind of the downer is like okay. You got this real. I mean, like yeah, he corrects Patrick a lot of things. Plays sort of this um, kind of. He's a what? motivational speaker, but he's a you know he's yes. a child porn. Well, he's a he's a he's a he's he's involved in a pedophile. Right? Yeah, he's he's a piece I, of shit. Yeah. I mean, he's and it's oh, <laughs> you monumentally huge piece of shit. Yeah, and like I, I think those those like I one of the things that uh, because in two thousand one when this movie came out, I was a senior in high school. Uh, and so I'm like, I'm right there. I mean, I identified with Donnie Darko just, Mm -hmm. I I went to a a small private school and I, it's one of, did you stand up and cheer the whole fear and happiness line or whatever with the teacher? I wish (laughs) like there, there are times that I wish I could have gotten up in an assembly <laughs> and called somebody the fucking antichrist. The, the fucking antichrist. <laughs> because because like I just that was a powerful. That was like that was that's, one, the that's right one of those where it's like oh my gosh, that like because because there's I mean there is just like it's not and just to have his his parents sort of had his back. Yeah, like you know what I mean. Like they're they're upset with him, but 
Well, you know, I mean, they're not like, well, you're you're not going to amount to anything. Like, it's like, yeah, well, I, I, can you be mad at him? It's it's sort of like the whole like, y- you know, he ate the whole wheel of cheese, Baxter from <laughs> from Anchorman. I'm, I'm not even like, upset. I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm just more impressed. Yeah. Well, because I, I. That's how I feel when, like, one of my kids swears. Like, first of your initial reaction is like, don't do that. Don't swear. But then immediately after that, I'm like, but it was used in the proper context. Yeah. I'm like, maximum, like, you know, like, maximum effect for, like, that swear word. Like, I kind of have to give it to you. It's, it's one of those, like, just don't, just don't do that outside of these walls because I will pretend like. I never said that, basically. <laughs> I'm like, I, the situation feels like it's supposed to dictate that I would be upset here. Right. But I'm kind of not. Like, and I'm I liked, proud. <laughs> I liked that when they were reprimanding him that the principal even acknowledges, like, before we get, it was like, let's just acknowledge that your Iowa basic test scores are intimidating. And so I was like, yes, you clearly, it's like, intimidating, it's, right. It's not just <laughs> some bored teenager, some, oh, I'm, you know, I'm angsty and, and just you know, like, right. oh, I'm rebelling for the sake of it. It's like, no, this is somebody who's, who's intrinsically aware of the world around him. And, has the capacity to be extremely thoughtful. Yeah. And when you couple yeah. in the fact that he's actively dealing with his emotional issues, there's kind of a maturity to what he's saying. That's like, okay, you have all these adults that oh, are telling sure. you how to behave. And he's like, you know, even when he's trying to explain to Miss Farmer, it's like, okay, not everything in life boils down to love or fear. Like it's not just these, you can't just say right. these are the two things that exist and it has to be one of them. And part of me went like, I, you know, you watch that scene at, well, for you, you were a senior in high school. So it yeah. hit you right where, right in the spot. Me, I'm like a few years divorced from that period of my life. But on first viewing, I'm still more on that side. Now I'm like, how will I see the Donnie Darko character as a person in their 40s? Like, yeah. will I be less, less not sympathetic, but you know, like I was empathetic towards the character, like and see myself more in the adults and their actions. And part of me felt a little bad for that teacher. Who's just trying so hard to get through that lesson. Yeah. You know what I mean? She's like, just, just put it on the line. Just put please. an X just, on the line. You want a grade. I have, you have to do it or I can't give you a grade. She's approaching it from that. And like for him as a young as a youth, he's just like, no, I'm not, you're not pushing this shit on me. Like I'm developing, I'm, I'm growing and I, I can't have this shit. So you got these like converging like points of views. Like, yeah, this I'm teaching this. This is just a lesson, right? Don't rub my nose in how stupid it is. I get it. Just, just put the, put the dot on the line somewhere. <laughs> get well, your freaking grade. <laughs> I, I like lunch. <laughs> I, I liked that they had because what what gave it depth for me, is, I mean, first and foremost was she was, she was. I mean, even when you have the, I mean, the uh, he's been arrested and she's still like, there must be a conspiracy. He's like, no, this guy's a piece of shit, Jim Cunningham. Oh. He's like, <laughs> he's like if you're still like, okay, they've arrested him. She they found the she evidence was in his home. So like, she was trying to get out in front of the news and going door to door, like. You know, you, you know, he must, you know, it mustn't be true. And like, no, no, he, it was on like, well, I don't and believe in the conspiracy stuff. Like he had that crap on him and the police. Yeah. Were, well, it wasn't planted on him there. I mean, there's even like, if you pay <laughs> close attention fire and then they went, yeah, it just sort of turned up. 
if you pay close attention in one of the uh the uh what a his infomercial videos i forget what he calls them cunning ways or whatever yeah. it is um, right, right like there's one scene where he gives the little boy like a pat on the butt you're like it's oh, just real man. quick and you don't even notice it but it's like okay through the context yeah. there and it's one of those like i feel like it's not even that she believes that he's innocent it's just that by extension because she identified so closely so with him like strongly yeah yeah that she, she feels residual guilt to her <laughs> and like she needs some kind and, of redemption and he was in she she was the one probably mostly like principally responsible for his involvement with her school yeah and you're probably really blocking out that those sinking feelings that he may have had an inappropriate touchy relationship already with one of your students yeah like you're you're fighting against that fear so hard like you just take his side because you just cannot believe that something horrible like that could happen to well i mean her she had her she had herself had a daughter right her yes. daughter was in sparkle motion yep so you know whew, well and the the other part of her that um because i i really enjoy the scene um it's the cellar door scene where he's learning the the um the reasoning behind that uh being the most beautiful phrase in the english language is Karen Pomeroy's last day. And yeah. he, it, like, it's after school. She comes in, he comes in. She's like, what are you doing here? It's Friday. Shouldn't you be out, you know, doing whatever. Uh, and uh -huh. he's just stopping in to see her. He's like, what, what are you doing? He's like, Oh, I, I, they no longer require my services. And he's upset. He's like, what? You're the coolest teacher here. And right. just, Thank you. It's one, another one of those scenes where it's like, he kind of has this moment with somebody who's meaningful in his life. And there's some yeah. validation there. Because it's like she's she's one of those people's like she's not really she's I mean she's not some extreme teacher she's not oh my goodness we're you know oh we're we're plowing the depths of some kind of you know of you know, like where Kitty Farmer wants to call is like we're teaching pornography in schools like okay no like these this is literature I mean it's one of those like there's yeah, she was the one who's like fighting to keep books from being banned in yeah. libraries like she's just that person. And it, it so it was, it was when I was like, okay, let's let's preserve the artistic, you know, integrity of of you know this work. And she was she was doing that through challenging the kids to here. Let's you know let's at least you know expose you to different viewpoints. Oh, here, let's make you think. Let's not just make you you know. Uh, when because even I, I love it because they're just those little one-offs when when she asked the question and the one girl Joni raises her hand and answers like oh they broke ins to to rob him she's like well Joni if you'd actually you know, read the 30 pages which would have kept you up mm -hmm. all night you would have found that they you know they left the money in the mattress like okay yeah. no I don't want you to read this just because it's an assignment I want you to read it because there's value to what's being taught there and I, I so it's when I was like okay when the school is getting rid of the teacher that seems to really genuinely care about the students and yeah, from, yeah. from somebody like Donnie who actually appreciates like, Oh wait, you're the coolest teacher here. It's like, okay, right. those are the kind of teachers that, you know, like people come back. Oh, I haven't been back to this high school in 30 years. Like, Oh, this teacher's, you know, show oh, they were the greatest. They, they made me read this book or, Oh, oh I, yeah. Lots of people have that teacher that they are. Yeah. Cause they really, like you said, to challenge a student, and not just treat them like, you know, 
like they're beneath you, I guess. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's the thing. I mean, I, I think when you're, I guess if you're like a teenager and you're maturing and, and everybody matures at different rates, but there definitely are those like early mature, like the, you know what I mean? They're like kind of early for their, they're they're just mature before they're, yeah. and they just see things in a different way. And if you're an adult, you know, if you sometimes some, some adults can just recognize that early maturity ahead of time and, and like, and nurture it and challenge it. But then other people I think are, I guess, um, threatened by it and they, they kind of shut it down and push yeah. down on it. Well, cause they're like, I, but think, I like, I like the Noah Wiley teacher and yes, and her, he, he's kind of like in the middle. He's a little bit reserved. Yeah, I do. I, but I he's, love that scene where they were kind of having that sort of little fireside chat, like off to the side about, you know, the time travel and stuff. And, you know, Noah Wiley is really, really engaged and, yeah. and they're kind of having this back and forth. But then, and then at this one point in the conversation sort of changes up a little bit and you could tell that Jake Gyllenhaal, Donnie is becoming frustrated because yeah. I guess Noah Wiley's character was starting to not see things in the way that he saw them anymore. Yeah. And then like Noah's like, well, I, I'm, I'm going to have to put a stop to this conversation now. We're, we're venturing into dangerous student-teacher relationship. And I, I like that moment. It felt very real. Yeah. Like we have, we have to not, we cannot continue like this anymore because I could, I could lose my job. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, like felt really authentic and real. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed, um, and, and I, it is, it's one of those things of like, even and like, that's one of those things that's funny. It's like over, you know, just, it's just over two hours in the director's cut. But I'm yeah. like, I still, it still feels like, oh man, I could have more scenes with Drew Barrymore. I could have more scenes with Noah Wiley. Yeah. I, like there's so much more to this that I could, you know, I could just take and just, oh, just. That that director's cut really adds some more texture to yeah. an already pretty good movie. Like the theatrical cut, I, you know, sometimes you, you'll get a director's cut and it really enhances yeah, you you get that. I mean, the whole existence of the director's cut is so that they you you feel like as a viewer you're getting like if a movie wasn't what people had hoped it to be, ever like that director's cut is that last chance at a good movie that you hoped was good. Yeah. So like, oh well, maybe maybe they lost this movie in editing, and you know, if you just get the director a chance, and sometimes they really pay off. Sometimes you'll get a director's cut and just like, oh yeah, this really makes a big difference, and a lot of times they don't make any difference at all. Well, and as, uh, but with as, but with Donnie, like it really adds good texture to the movie. You well, don't need it, but it adds good texture. And especially, I mean, Richard Kelly, when he directed this, he was twenty four, and this is the first, the first uh, major. I think he had one short, or I think maybe mm-hmm. two shorts that he had done before this, and that was yeah. it. And so he's twenty four. This is his first major film. I mean, like he wrote it and he directed it. And, you know, he's, I mean, nobody's in it is an A-list celebrity, but it's like, he's got names in this movie that people will recognize. Um, And he, and like, cause that's one of those things too. I was, I was curious about that. It it never really came up anywhere in, uh, in the commentary, but it was one of those things. Like if I had my opportunity to, to ask him a question or to interview him, one of the things that I I would have asked was um, coming into this at 24, because uh, I mean, he seemed he seemed really in the zone. I mean, I'm thinking of myself at 24. I'm like, oh my goodness, 
I couldn't have directed a movie at 24. I was like, yeah. I, you know, I couldn't have directed a serial commercial when I was 24. I could barely direct myself to school when I was 24. Um, he so, holds this movie together really well. Yeah, I, a movie I mean, that's dealing with some pretty complex themes. He holds it together really well for a 24-year-old, no doubt. And, I mean, think thinking about it, too. I mean, it's like you have people, I mean, you know, you have people that have been in the entertainment industry for decades that have had. I well, mean, Noah Wiley was on, like, the biggest TV Yeah, he was on ER. In, in the world. Yeah. So and, he, he was a, by, by this point in 2001, he was probably nominated for Emmys and shit, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you, you've got, uh, I mean, you've got Drew Barrymore, you've got Noah Wiley, you've got, I mean, even, um, Holmes Osborne and Mary McDonald who mm. aren't household names necessarily, but it's like, they've, I mean, they've been in things, they've been right. in plenty of things. Yeah. And so, I mean, oh, the, yeah. the people with, with real resumes and you're a 24 year old kid on scene, you wrote this, you're, you know, directing it. It's when I was like, um, cause I, uh, probably the closest thing to it. Because uh, when he was talking with Kevin Smith, he was talking about uh, people ad-libbing. And Kevin was talking about how he hates that. He's like, no. He's like, I, mm. I write the dialogue. He's like, I know that Affleck tries his hardest to get away with it in so many of his movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's one of those, like, no, I wrote it. Say it like this. And I was like, yeah, I mean, right. not like Kevin Smith doesn't take input from people. But it's like, okay, no, like this is how I want it done. This is the vision that I have. And so. Well, I'm, he's the writer guy. Because like, yeah. if you think about guys who are writers their shit gets compromised. Exactly. But if you're like a writer guy and you're the director guy, then you can just say, no, fucking read it like I read it. Yeah. Or, you know, read it like I wrote it. So I can see where he's coming from. You know, because you're, you're used to not being stood up for, I'm sure. And that's because that's... Although, although he probably isn't because he kind of hit jack, like the, you know, the jackpot right off the bat. <laughs> well, and I, I, I think I think he managed it well. Given yeah. given the final product, because I know there were times where he let people, um, like uh, one of the ones that he mentioned specifically is after uh, at the beginning of the movie when Donnie and his mom have their altercation and he calls her a bitch and she comes in and she says your mm. son just called me a bitch and uh, dad goes you're bitching but you're not a bitch that was <laughs> yeah. that was his own creation he he just ad libbed that, that was his ad lib and so and he was like oh cool well that was Let's, really on point for yeah the time. and so because it's, it's one of those things like okay you're 24 i mean you're i mean you've got you're brand new to this um he, he's he's competent in what he's doing i mean i don't think there's anybody on set that's yeah. like okay this guy has no idea what he's doing but right, it, it's, right. it's when i was like okay i would be really curious like did you have times where you had to be like no guys this is the way because i mean even for drew barrymore it's like okay her production company's involved by 2001 i'm pretty sure she had um i mean was drew barrymore holding this together though because it makes me wonder you look at a guy like richard kelly and then so yeah he did handle things really well when he was 24 with donnie darko but then his next big movie southland tales to me feels like a mess yeah like a really high concept crazy ass mess and i didn't have like it didn't hit for me in any of the same ways that Donnie Darko did. And I was no. really honestly, now I know people like Southland tales. Yeah. Uh, but I, I couldn't really get, I, I've never watched it a second time. I barely could get through it the first time. I was like, what the fuck am I even watching? here? <laughs> 
And maybe some people watch Donnie Darko and get that exact same feeling, but maybe he got a little too much freedom and a little too much control. And like that one just went crazy in the left field. Well, because after, because um, I know he wrote. Like, couldn't you see like a Drew Barrymore off to the side going, I see what you're doing here, Richard Kelly, but I'm just going to very quietly and very confidently point you over here. Maybe we should go this route. I don't know. I hate that, to give her all the credit and him no credit. But those those are the things. With, with Southland Tales coming up, you know, doing what it did. Well, because that, I mean, that's one of those, that's what makes me curious about something like Southland Tales, because Southland Tales, you had so many names in that movie. So oh, many names. God. And I, I think about the I got soul, but I'm not a soldier thing all the time. Yeah, and I think I'm not like a huge fan of that movie, but that really sticks in my head forever. Well, because yeah, that was Justin Timberlake. And then, yeah, you had The Rock and William. Uh, oh, gosh, the Stifler guy. Sean, uh, Sean William Scott. Sean I William guess. Scott, Sarah Michelle Geller. Yeah, he was. I mean, there were. Yeah, everybody, everybody. There were tons. And that's why, like. It, it made me curious because, I mean, after that, I mean, he did The Box, too, which that had uh, Cameron Diaz and somebody Cameron else. Cameron Diaz, yeah. Um, anyway, I mean, it was Mainly an interesting, <laughs> interesting idea. Uh, uh, even the, the idea behind it was based on a short story. It wasn't even necessary. I mean, his treatment of it was his own, but the idea in and of itself was not something he generated per se himself. But it's like since right, then, right. since then, that's it. That's all he's done. I mean, like that's he kind of it. Yeah, he wrote the screenplay for Domino, which uh, I want to say was Tony Scott directed that. I think one of the Scotts. I think so. Yeah, that feels like a Tony Scott um, movie. And you know, it was like okay. I mean, it's not a bad movie, but like it's not a great movie. I mean, people are like, oh, Domino. It's one of my favorites. Like it was good. It was uh, watchable. It was hyper. It was a hyper stylized hitman movie. Yeah. That it, a lot of a lot of celebrities signed up to. I mean, that, yeah. that had a lot of people in it too. But it, Ben Affleck had a pretty crazy uh, cameo. Not, I don't want to say he called a cameo. Really, he he had a role, but it doesn't doesn't end up for Ben like I expected it to end. Up. Yeah. Well, and so because I was Isn't Ryan Reynolds in that too, or is he not in that? Uh, you're or, thinking of smoking aces. Is it Chris Evans? Is Chris Evans in that? I don't know. Now I might just be thinking of Loser, <laughs> the Losers or whatever. Yes, the Losers was Chris oh, Evans. I, f- I friggin' love that movie. It is a great movie. That is what I, people talk about me like. Oh, what's what's like your favorite comic book movies? Like that always slips in as like a dark horse. I like to slide that into the conversation. Like because oh, people, well, you, for, gotta, you can't you got to talk about the Losers. Oh, people don't realize <laughs> it is a comic book movie, and it's a great comic yeah. book movie because it's not a. And a lot of a lot of those actors went on to bigger comic book oh, yeah. roles. <laughs> Because uh, see, like that had Idris Elba in it, Chris Evans, uh, and um, Zoe uh, Sal- uh, what, Saldone. Oh yeah, forget her name. That and it's—I yeah. mean—it's a genuinely entertaining movie. It's funny. Oh, I it's love got it. Great I action. It. It's written well. Yes. It's a yes. really—it holds its own well after it's done. It's a very late two thousand, like early two thousands, late. You know what I mean? Like that yes. era of movie. Yes, it, it really it fits into that snugly into that era of movies. Like they don't make them like that anymore and they never, but, but in that period of that three or four years, they were, they were everywhere. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was like the last shits of Pulp Fiction running down, you know, like yeah. they're still good, but it was of that kind of nature of film. Yeah. No, that, Oh my gosh. What, 
but but keep going there. What, 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 keep keep talking about what your thought was. Like you were talking about director's cuts. Well, um, I, I that's uh, one of the things that I was doing afterwards because on IMDb, I mean, he has uh, Richard Kelly has nothing that he's you know is in production or announced or anything like that. And so I was I found an article that I was reading. Uh, it was from last year. So I, I want to say it was like midway through last year. But it's somebody just you know following up with him because like I mean this year or last year was the twentieth anniversary of Donnie Darko. And, you yeah. know, you, you oh, have wow. this guy sure. who's, I mean, kind of got a, I mean, a, a, what you feel like would be a promising career ahead of him. Um, I mean, it's oh, not like my God. Yeah. Donnie Darko. I mean, it was a huge success. It was like, I mean, for the cult following that it has, it's like, okay. I mean, that's it, it, by this stage of the game. If, yeah. It, for it being a cult movie, you know, cause that's one of those things that he, anymore, in our in in this day and age for something to be a cult movie like once upon a time a cult classic was one of those movies that like oh yeah like rocky horror picture show it was one that like southland tales had been pulp fiction he would have been the next quentin tarantino yeah it wasn't it just didn't it ended right there yeah this whatever momentum he had got squished if this if this was his reservoir dogs which I think right. that's an apt comparison. I mean, they're great initial openings. You got a smattering mm-hmm. of really capable actors, really good story, well done, but executed. Same, same point in their career, like yeah. intriguing beginnings of a career. Yeah. Extremely intriguing. And, and just, they went two different ways. And so, and, but yeah, if like if Southland Tales had been Pulp Fiction, he Richard Kelly would be a household name. And every, yeah. I mean, people would right. know him. Some people, I mean, there's, you know people that love richard kelly but it's like you're 20 years after donnie darko and it's like in the article he said he has you know he's written a bunch of stuff and he's got all these irons in the fire mm-hmm. but it's when i was like you know it, he must be a guy who just doesn't get credited for like you know what i mean yeah he has to be doing he's too you look at donnie darko and you go there's a lot of talent this guy's a talented writer you can't deny that. Yeah, he has to be. He has to be. He's got to be involved somewhere in some something. pretty famous stuff. I think. Even if he's just like a punch-up guy, you would you do well to bring a Richard Kelly into your conversation and be like, "What do you think?" Well, okay, and- Richard Kelly went way the fuck over here, but you know, one time maybe one time out of ten, he comes up with this amazing idea and executes it perfectly. And clearly, I mean, like you know, I I don't know you know, what he's, what he's working on right now. I don't know what he's got going. I don't know if he's, you know, ghostwriting stuff for people or what, or he if might he, be you know, doing a podcast or something. You yeah, never know. He very well could. <laughs> but I mean, like yeah. by, by, you know, 2001, he, you know, he kind of comes on the scene and by 2004, he's doing a, a commentary with Kevin Smith. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, Kevin Smith is a household name for you and I. And I mean, a lot of people know Kevin Smith It's like, not yeah. a lot of people have as much appreciation for his films. Um, you know, right. but it's one of those things like, okay, if, you know, it's an acquired taste, I can admit that. Yeah. If three years into his career, he's hooking up with somebody like Kevin Smith and, you know, and I mean, there's between Donnie Darko and Southland tales, it's like, there's people that he knows that I I'm sure would be like, okay, yeah, that guy's got some real talent. Um, you, I think it's just, it's one of those, I'm like, okay, because to me, he seems kind of like a Ryan Johnson, um, very thoughtful in his writing, very um, high concept in his writing. Uh, not everything mm-hmm. is just going to click because uh, I love yeah. um, Ryan Johnson's first movie. Uh, Brick. 
Brick, thank you. I had it again, lost it. But Brick, uh, I like. I love Brick. It's such a fantastic movie. I enjoy Looper and Brothers Bloom, um, mm-hmm. not as much as uh, Brick, but they're still solid films. Uh, and then, I mean, he, you know, it, a lot of people didn't love what he did with uh, with Star Wars. Um, and you know, I have my own thoughts on that. I, I, I still, I still like him. I wasn't like, Oh, I hate Ryan Johnson. I was like, I think Ryan Johnson's a really talented guy. Well, I'm glad he got success. I'm glad he got back on track with knives out. Yeah. Knives out. And he's got a sequel to knives out that he's yeah. working on. I mean, he's, he's a Every very, now and then it's a good to see these younger creatives bounce back. Like yeah, the Lego guys bounced back with yes. the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse like that. Their names were not headlining. Like they left their names out during all of that i remember it wasn't until much later that i even noticed that they were behind yeah. the spider bears but because of the stink of the han solo movie they really got their names got pushed off of things and was it like lord and miller right i think yeah lord and miller the, yep. yeah you know it, but i mean at one point they were developing a ghostbusters movie like they were just attached to everything and then all of a sudden you know like Oh, they got fired from the solo movie. Whoa. Okay. Well, we and not promote ourselves <laughs> like Colin, Colin Trevorrow. It's because they had a lot more hits and misses. I mean, the 21 jump street movies are hilarious. Yeah. Like, um, well, Colin Trevorrow who did uh, safety, not guaranteed back in 2012, which was yeah. small indie movie, uh, a handful of people, um, uh, Mark Duplass, uh, um, and what's, uh, I gotta pull, let me pull it up here since I'm looking at it. Um, uh, Jake Johnson, uh, Aubrey Plaza. Mm. I mean, not, not huge oh, names. Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. Um, I remember I, th- I vaguely, I've never seen it, but I've, that, it's, I've it's a the, good movie. I've heard, the, I've heard of it. I've heard of it. It's a good movie. I really enjoyed it. And then from there he went direct. I mean, director, <laughs> he had, a, uh, Short documentary, TV short. Then he did Safety Not Guaranteed. Then three years later, they're like, hey, do you want to direct Jurassic World? Right. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and he directed Jurassic World. And then he was supposed to direct, uh, uh, what's the, was it? The, the Last Jedi. Yeah. The la- uh, yeah. Um, what, well, I mean, it became The Last Jedi. Who knows what it would have been with him. Yeah. But he the, was supposed to be the third Episode nine. The, the one that JJ did. Mm-hmm. The second one JJ did. Um, and he, I mean, he's a really capable storyteller and I mean, he's, he just finished, uh, Jurassic world dominion. And I mean, everybody's going nuts over that. And I I mean, personally, I think it's going to be pretty epic. I mean, I've, I've got very high hopes. I think it's going to be good. Yeah. Um, Well, just, just, just the nostalgic, you know, feels you get from seeing the, you know, uh, Grant and, uh, Oh my gosh. Like, I mean, I, I did it like well, I, the trio, you know, the, the main three guys from the first one. <laughs> and well, cause it feels like, uh, you know, cause they, they gave us, um, Ian Malcolm in fallen kingdom, yeah, but it was just re- it was like, it was just kind of a cheater. Like he gave a little speech to a government, you know, a, a some tribunal at the end or at the beginning. Yeah. And then he kind of got his voice over towards the end. It was like, okay, it wasn't really yeah. in the movie. I was tricked into thinking he was going to be more involved. Yeah. In the plot of that. So movie. this one is like, okay, you've got Alan Grant, Ellie Sadler and Ian Malcolm, like for yeah. real back in this movie. And uh, you've yeah. got them paired with the new people that we, you know, Owen, uh, Grady and, uh, whoever Bryce Dallas Howard plays. I forget her, her name, but it's like, 
uh, in that same Bryce way. Bryce like, Howard. Yeah, I forget her character's name. Um, oh, gotcha. But it, it like that's another one of those like okay, I feel like if um, again, like you're saying, if Southland Tales would have been yeah. something that people really just loved, if it had been uh, a pulp fiction then right. he would be a guy that they'd be looking at for things like Jurassic World or you know but Star Wars. But he needed one more like you had yeah. he had to prove it's like you have to prove yourself. Yeah, and like it's like it wasn't a fluke that first time. You're like, well, you're not Southland, fooling me again. I mean, <laughs> Southland Tales feels a lot like a Mallrats except it didn't get the residual from the fan base like you know, Mallrats wasn't like, they're like, oh, we're going to give you a bunch more money. So like, oh, cool. So yeah. we don't have to film this at a convenience right. store at night. It's like, no, no, you, right. can go, you can use real cameras and stuff and, you know, not yeah, put it right. on a credit card. <laughs> so like they made a real movie and, yeah, you know, <laughs> the fan base at the time didn't go see it. I love when Kevin Smith's like, hey, who here rents out Mallrats? When it opened and people raised their hands like, bullshit, you did. I mean, we tanked in the theaters. <laughs> None of you saw it. <laughs> Uh, so I love that. It's I remember like, that. Yeah. I remember you know, that. Now, <laughs> I mean, you do, I mean, I've, I've bought mall rats, I don't know, three, four times on different oh, yeah. platforms. We, we paid, we've yeah, paid, we paid our we dues paid back, Kevin. We so, paid back. It's like, yeah, if I had bought a ticket for seven bucks to go see it, I've spent $200 on copies of mall rats on various different At this formats. point, I've seen more post like, you know, whatever whatever like the kevin smith the top of his like you know new jersey reign and kingdom like i've seen more movies post that now yes in theaters i think than i did because i didn't see the original clarkson theaters i didn't see Mallrats in theaters i didn't see chasing amy like all of those movies came to me like later like oh you gotta check out these kevin smith movies they're awesome and like i already had some of them to sample you know i i saw clerks uh when I was working at the, at the, uh, but I, I, I never, it, it's like, it didn't, I didn't really watch it, watch it. It was just kind of one of those things where like, Oh, we had to kind of watch it for this promotion we were doing at our video store. And I was like, Oh, I kind of get what they're doing here. And I just didn't really watch it. Yeah. Uh, but then, then I watched it after I had left the video store and was like, Holy shit, this is the greatest thing ever. And then like, I was from that moment forward, I was like in love with Kevin Smith and all the stuff that he does. But I, I don't think I saw my first Kevin Smith movie in theaters until like Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back. I think I that think, might have been the first Kevin I think Smith that was my movie first I too. saw in theaters. Yeah. So like all of that, I was way past his pride, you know? <laughs> yeah. And well, and I think that's I think that's the thing is, you know. I prefer podcasting Kevin Smith. Now, maybe his <laughs> movies aren't as good, but I enjoy this era of Kevin Smith. Oh, a lot. Like I probably wouldn't even like Kevin Smith if he had a podcast when he was in his twenties. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he, cause he has, he has such a way of telling stories. He can make yes. the most mundane thing really exciting and entertaining just by that's how he gift. tells it. That's his gift. And I, and I think that's the thing is like with the unfortunate thing for Richard Kelly in this is you had such lightning in a bottle with his Donnie Darko. It's like such yeah. a good movie. You know, it's you like were, Jared Hess, like he had yeah, that lightning in a bottle, exactly, and then he he kind of duplicated it with Natural Libre, but that but that by then it was over after that, yeah, it was like, and and that it, I mean, it, you know, there's it there's wasn't nothing good enough. It wasn't good enough. There's nothing really to celebrate in the cat, I mean, even if you wanted to. There's nothing yeah. from. Uh, I mean, you got two other movies. You have Southland Tales, which admittedly is not great, and The Box, yeah. and that's it. 
So, right, you know, right. whatever there really was going to be for Richard Kelly is no more. It's, I mean, it's like, and I don't know what else he has, you know, if maybe there's... Maybe he figured himself a fraud. Maybe he just stopped making movies. It was like, ooh, maybe, it, maybe Donnie Darko was a fluke and I should stop. That's all I got, guys. That shows an incredible amount of maturity. You got to give it to him. Yeah. I really mean, if he was. just bowed out, then good on yeah. him. Yeah. Extremely good on him. Way to go, bro. Oh, shit. Well, what else is there to say about Donnie Darko? I don't know. Like, I feel like we've covered so much, but like not a lot also. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, do it's we like. Wanna, do we want to talk about the characters? Or we just really kind of talked about the essence? It's like, really, to talk about Donnie Darko, I, that's why I really enjoy doing these podcasts. Is like, Sometimes you ha- you pick a movie and you rarely want to talk about the movie, but all of the things that yeah, like you know the the thing the peripheral things about the movie that you just want to start talking about. Like you guys have seen Donnie Darko probably if you and if you haven't, and you you know you've gotten this far. Hopefully we've we've scratched an itch like we've intrigued you enough to want to go look for this movie. You can watch it on HBO Max right now. Uh, or Hobo Max, as my, my son calls it. Yes. Hobo Max. <laughs> it, it is one of the more stylish movies of um, the two, like that 2000s era of movies, for sure. The musical sequences are great. Very stylized. Moody as hell. And Gary, yes. like, I, I watched the movie late with ear, like, you know, like the noise canceling headphones on. So like I'm watching it on a bigger screen, but I I've got like the nice audio thing going. And anytime like Frank would talk, you know, you had the eerie music playing and it's just, it really works. Like all of that atmosphere is hitting big time. I started taking notes and I'm like, I'm going to take so many notes. Like I'm going to sit here and I'm just going to note this movie to death. And uh, like, really and truly like uh, one of the biggest one of the biggest things that i wanted to talk about is what we talked about up at the front and it was i mean we we can run through the cast if we want we've we've bounced around through it it might uh might shake some things i loose. think we've i think we've basically touched everybody at this point yeah, yeah i mean i i'm i'm looking here uh i mean jenna, jenna malone who plays gretchen i mean we've not talked about her much but i don't i don't know that there's a lot a lot of depth to plumb there. Uh, Frank, you know, we've talked about the idea of Frank, James Duvall. I don't know ads. I mean, he's. I will. <clears throat> one, one there. You, you might be able to add a little bit of yeah. uh, background to this scene. But one scene that I thought was weird and leads lends a tad bit of credence to people who like theorize like the meaning of Donnie Darko and certain characters are in this uh, tan- t- uh, what do they call it? tangible universe to nudge Donnie. And I, 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 there is a theory where the whole scene where Noah Wiley's character shuts off the conversation because their, their job is to lead and nudge Donnie in the right direction, but not, but you have to do it in a way that makes him think that it's his, that it's his, yeah, it's leading. Right. So when he, he, I guess he maybe, maybe he felt in that moment that he was pushing a little too hard. He was leading the witness a little too, too expertly at that moment, and he pulled back. Uh, but anyways, uh, the the scene where she's sort of introduced to the class, and I think it's Drew Barrymore's character is like sit next to the boy that you think is cute. Oh yes, that whole scene really sticks out as a weird scene in my head. 
Yes. There's no way a teacher would put that type of social oh, stress on a new student. How uh, ruthless that is. Class. Oh my God, it seems so cutthroat, but n- nobody seems like it doesn't seem weird for anybody. She picks her seat. She just kicks that other girl out of her seat. You know? Yeah, Joni. See you, Joni. Yeah, get it. Zia Joni. I mean that that really played out like a weird ass scene to me. Like how how do you have any sort of in like side context of what that was all about? I, I don't know. I, I don't think that the, I don't remember anything specific about the commentary. But I, I was the same same thing for me where I was like, okay, this is uh, like the weirdest way of. I mean, there's there's a part of it where. Um, uh, because even like when when you take it a step further, like there had to be an introduction between the two of them, because even the flooding of the school mm. um, is is a is an instance where Donnie's directed to do that <clears throat> by Frank, right? By Frank, because that creates the opportunity for Donnie and uh, Gretchen to walk home that day. So the yeah. the 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 push behind that is just so that they could have that very conversation um and even the the i think it's is it donnie that recognizes that is like i'm glad the school was flooded today and like, why because otherwise we wouldn't have had this conversation i was like oh, that yeah. that it's really a, it's is a line from the movie yeah, yeah that's and that's the whole reason behind it is all of those things converging even even because there's there's some of those things where it's like I I mean honestly I may even have to go back and watch it rewatch it again having just watched it a couple of times in the last couple of days mm-hmm. um, because there are scenes where I wasn't I was so focused on what was happening in the foreground that like there are scenes where Frank is literally driving through the background of the scene um, and so well he's the boyfriend of his sister yes yeah he's his sister's boyfriend and right. so there's uh, all these things but I mean that's not like made clear like no it's implied you have to pay attention it yeah yeah and you don't you don't really i mean even you don't really connect the dots until that Mm -hmm. party that night when elizabeth is specifically asking hey have you guys seen frank you know she's dating someone because she's on the phone with them you know you you she gets dropped off right before the engine falls in hell yeah so it's like there's there's allusions to the fact that she's dating someone but you don't find out until it's like, hey, have you guys seen Frank? Um, and then uh, when you cut to the um, Donnie at the um, the little whiteboard on the fridge where Frank wrote that he was going to get, uh, he was going on a beer run, that is the same handwriting as uh, they made me do it. They made me do it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's like there's well that. I've read theories too that say that the vote for Dukakis who I think uh or vote Dukakis or something like that yeah. is in his sister's handwriting which also closely resembled the they made me yeah. do it handwriting. So I don't know. It is just like you take it where you want to take it I guess. <laughs> you can get pretty JFK with the way but that I, I like that though. I like movies that give you that opportunity to run with it. Like you yeah. can pick up, you can pull any strand of string that you want in any part of this movie, and you can really pull and pull and pull and extrapolate some pretty wild but plausible, like you know, 
ideas of what these the, the themes in these movies mean. Well, and it, it's it's funny. I mean, even some of even some of the minutia of their their conversations uh, because at they one point like in that. the commentary, uh, Kevin Smith asks um, Richard Kelly about the Smurfs thing. Because uh, it's a very it's a very Kevin Smith kind of conversation when they're talking about Smurfs, you know the, yeah, the three yeah. guys are up there and it's like and, and Donnie right. just like it's so it's so illogical, you know and <laughs> and he just he is because I love this buddy Ronald goes why you got to get so smart on us Donnie and he's just like this really <laughs> comical like number two like you know yes uh, and it's just like well you got to get so smart on us. <laughs> oh, you and your Smurf knowledge, Such a Nimrod. <laughs> and, but it, it's it's funny because like there's, uh, I mean, there elements. Uh, I mean, elements of okay. So I mean, you have Gargamel who infiltrates, <laughs> you know, this this population of people that are just going about their business, and right. you have this agent that's in, introduced that changes the whole dynamic, but the overwhelming good of the community outweighs outweighs that you know so it's like you have another kind of you know god in the machine kind of element this is like even down yeah. to like the silliest little things um that you know they're like oh okay this is th- there's elements of this that kind of mirror even what's going on here and you know it, it is it's very meta isn't it yes you got like that whole like smurf like people having these dip like deep meaningful thoughtful conversations about the smurfs that were yeah. never meant to be had <laughs> and you have but, i mean it's just the imagination of a few can really you have extra the mileage uh, out of that lore the the exercise that donnie is supposed to do the ling ling finds a wallet and then yeah. you're like oh donnie finds a wallet where right in front of jim cunningham's house now you know where uh, he lives so it was like oh okay Oh yeah, yeah. It's like there's there's all of these mirrored things. Like okay, I, I don't remember. I didn't I didn't catch that before. Yeah, that's interesting. And what's funny, just a, a, a what could be an irony because they never really land on the commentary. Uh, but uh, there's uh, going back to talking about mall rats, uh, the the house that Jim Cunningham lives in. The whole time, Kevin was like, I think that might be Brandy Svenning's house. And it's like they, they filmed because there was a whole alternate opening to Mallrats that wasn't in the theatrical cut. Um, yeah. And they mention it, right? They yeah. mention it. Yeah. There's there's a couple of places where they kind of throw away, like, oh, they couldn't cut it clean everywhere. But it was then like, you see, what? like, oh, they actually filmed this. Yeah. I was like, no, they filmed the whole thing. Yeah. There's a whole big right. opening to the to the movie that no one saw. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, it's like they keep every time that house pops up, Kevin's like, I'm pretty sure that's Brandy Svenning's house. <laughs> and so it was just like, that was just a kind of a great little nod for me. It's like, oh, it's Jim Cunningham and Brandy Svenning's house. But it, these it, houses, they repeatedly pop up in movies. It, I wouldn't be shocked. Well, and uh, so, so some of the other things that were really kind of cool, um, like uh, when Don, Donnie's at the movie theater and uh, he's watching uh, Evil Dead uh, with, yeah. with Gretchen. Um, Sam right. Raimi reached out to him um, and was like, yeah, you can use, you can use evil dead totally free. Just throw it in the movie, you know? And so it was like, there were all these things that he was uh, trying to think. There was something else that they were trying to get the rights to um, mm-hmm. 
what was it? they were trying to track down who trying owned to get like the a right. James Carpenter thing in there too maybe <laughs> yeah they were they were trying to they were trying to figure out I forget what it was it was they it's, they were I mean they were in the middle of trying to figure out who had the rights to something it wasn't even that they um, they couldn't get it. Uh, yeah. But it was like they just didn't know who had the rights to it, and I think it was something that gotcha. they were going to use instead of Evil Dead. But Sam Raimi's like, no, you can use it totally free, cool. And I just that's I, awesome. That's an that's another one of those things. Was like, I like I think I, I really appreciate that amongst like especially like the indie directors. Like Sam Raimi, he's a big name. I'm yeah, like, Sam Raimi is like an indie director who yeah, got, you know who who happened to stumble into the big time. And it's like there's, it's for always kind of like for a brief window. Yeah, and they're like I like that they're always willing to pay it forward to like, okay, here's well, a newbie the, coming the, up. The whole thing with Peter Jackson, like he has like such a weird uh, first part of his directing career. You yeah, know, same thing for uh, James Gunn. Really, yep. I mean, he's got the starting with trauma. He's like okay, uh-huh. and now he's huge. Now it's like, he's huge. I like the I like the those guys are like. No matter Until what level, somebody digs up a video they find <laughs> offensive, and then he goes away for a little while. He goes to jail. <laughs> You're in Twitter jail. Goes, You're in. He goes to Twitter. He he paid his he he paid his debt to Twitter society, and then he's now he's back making. And everybody's like, ah, actually, this stuff really is funny. Like Warner Brothers things with like Suicide Squad and Peacemaker. And my God, I love it. That's like just let Disney's these guys lost this Warner Brothers game. That's for sure. Yeah, let the just let these guys. It was like that's one of those things that just kills me about the whole thing. Is like, okay, you know what? The whole the whole way it's supposed to work is if everybody if if everybody legitimately thinks that you know what James Gunn said and did was the worst thing in the world, then we would all say ah screw it I'm not giving James Gunn any more of my money, and the studios yeah. wouldn't want to make any more movies with him, and that would be his consequence. If everybody's like no I really uh, what he said is the worst thing in the world, and well this yeah. is how we're going to punish him. It's like then let that happen, but it's like if people are still paying to see his movies, it's not that they're condoning or agree with what he said 12 years ago. It's sort of like, no, this movie looks really good. Off color joke that he re- apologized for. Yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> well, it's it, like Dan Harmon got caught in the same kind of situation. Yeah, it's like, okay. You know, and uh, we're, we're very anti cancel culture on this podcast just because it's stupid. And it just, all it does is it takes away the potential for, other good things to happen. I get that people say and do bad things. And if if we, if we say, you know what, this guy said or did that, this lady said or did that. We can't be judged for our worst moment. No. And it it just, it it drives me nuts. Cause I'm like, okay, think if, think if they would have said, all right, no, we're sticking to it. James Gunn, you're out. You're just out. Right. No one's going to hire you again. You're done. And I was like, and I was about to say, we'll, we'll, we'll try you out over here. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, I mean, because the thing is, it's not implicit. It's like, oh, well, if you saw the suicide squad or you watch peacemaker, then you must agree. It's like, when did that become the case? No, that's not how like, when did that ever become the case? It's like, Hey, I plunked down eight bucks to go see a movie by this guy. Clearly I agree with everything he's ever said. Like what? Yeah. I miss was, the good old days when we just didn't know what they were thinking. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's like, hey, did you hear what James Gunn said? No, because I, how would I know that? Because he said it right. to a person and I wasn't there, yeah. so I wouldn't know. Exactly. I'm blissfully living like, my ignorant we're just, life. I'm just <laughs> plugging along through life, man, eating a cheese sandwich, watching Cheers. That's all I'm doing, man. I have, I'm not up till three the in the cheese. morning. I, I love that. I love that's like your 
your your recipe for a good life is cheers and a cheese sandwich. Cheers and a cheese sandwich, man. Can't get much better than that. Like, uh, just let That's, me I'll be over here. Get get me two slices of bread and some cheese. <laughs> Put on Norm cheers. Peterson. Oh man, I'm set for the oh, next two God. hours. I mean, like I, I always appreciated that like hour block of Cheers back yeah. in the day, the reruns. Oh, man, great show, great show, holds up great. Oh, because I mean, it's one of those like, okay, mind. you know, what if I said, here, I'm gonna pay. Uh, I got 50 interns. I want you to go dig through everything that uh, <laughs> uh, the George Went ever did. Like, just uh, that's oh, your job. You, you, you could turn up some dirt on George Went. I guarantee it. No, I'm sure, and that's the thing. Is like, hey, you know what I want to do? I want to ruin Cheers for everyone. Ha 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 ha! No, stop it. Well, that somebody, some someday, someone will try to ruin Cheers. It's like the worst supervillain ever. It was like, you know, I'm going to cancel everyone. It was like, oh, when uh, the- George Went admitted once that he put a, a live cat in a dryer and like yeah, ha, ha, ha. For, for kicks. <laughs> now I can't enjoy Cheers anymore. <laughs> Uh, but oh, on the other hand of that, on the other hand of that same coin, I can't watch the Cosby show anymore ever again. <laughs> yeah. That is completely ruined for me. I'm sorry. I can't do it. <laughs> it's just too bad. It's too bad. That's, that's what we, uh, that's what we have to give up sometimes. Sometimes you got to give up a little bit of, a little bit of something. <sighs> it was picture page, man. He was fat Albert Friggin' Damn it. Anyway, so, well, see, but that's I'm, that's I'm mourning. I'm mourning the careers. <laughs> that, but that's <laughs> that's the thing. Careers. Everybody yeah. collectively said, "You know what? We loved the Cosby Show. We loved yeah. Fat Albert. We loved all these things. But yep. we can't get past what you did, any way, right. shape, or form, because it was just the worst." So it was really bad. I think you're we're all out. right this time. Yeah, I it's think like we're right this time. <laughs> but but like that's the thing. It's like okay, if I'm gonna it, have to say good for us this yes. one time. Well, because because that's the thing. <laughs> we it's like win this one time. Okay, if James Gunn said some really stupid things, can I? It was like, yeah. am am I gonna say? Oh no, that's not. No, I'm not gonna diminish if he said something really shitty. But it's like, okay, yeah. do I know what was happening that day? Is it okay if he says something? I'm like, have I ever said something stupid at a, in a moment oh of weakness? God. If I ever, Thank it's like, God, people do not pay attention to me. Yeah, like, it's like, oh, James my God. goodness. It's like, I mean, there's, <laughs> just, I mean, just in casual conversation, like, I, I would probably never run for And I'm one office. of the most, like, let everyone live how you want to live. Like, yeah. I am one of the most non judgmental people in yeah. the world, but I will say some really. I'll say some shit sometimes just so I feel alive. And yeah, sometimes it's like, oh, let me see if I can get a rise out of people. How dark can right. I go before somebody says, ooh, man, you might want to. Well, you knock take it, it off, and I'll be like, a- I didn't mean any of that. That was like, but I mean, you don't get that chance in, in nowadays. Yeah. You don't get that. Like, I wasn't, I was just kidding. Nobody just cares funnin'. about the, I was just kidding. Just funning. See, I'm like, uh, and that's so the thing she- with, with James Gunn. He can back up yeah. and say, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. You know, I was right. stupid. It was this it was like okay, I and then everybody see says how this would be offensive. Yeah, you know, I was like, a different person back then. I've grown. Uh, I wouldn't do this again. I'm sorry. It was like okay, yeah. cool. That's fine. It's like, I mean, I'm not gonna like if I was to look back at my you know twenty twenty two year old self, you're like, yep, I approve every decision my twenty two year old self made. No, right. no, not even close. 
It was like, you do stupid stuff when you're younger. But it's one of those things like, okay, you can say sorry to James Gunn. When you look at the things of Bill Cosby, it's like, yeah, that wasn't just you saying something though, bud. Like that was, you did a lot of like, and like really everybody. It was like, that was really out of bounds. And it it was like, we can't really be like, Oh, Mulligan. No, No, this is, this is like, (laughs) yep. Off. Yeah. You're no, you can't do that. Can't do that one, man. And you're done. So I was like, you're, we, Talk. <laughs> we're we're now we're, Bill Cosby is we, we, the natural end point for our podcast. We've gone into the. This, we're so far in the weeds now. Like I don't even know we could bring it back to a Kevin Bacon podcast. I don't at this think point. it's possible. I think we just need to end the episode. I think. Just yeah, say I was like, Donnie okay, Darko we're one of our favorite. You should if you, your, you love this movie. I love this movie. If you've never seen Donnie Darko, watch it. If you can watch the. Uh, uh, the director's cut. I highly recommend yeah. that because there's so much more context. There's st- the 20 minutes that add is added really does help make the movie come alive in a different way. Um, if you want to come over to my house, I have it. I'm not going to tell you where yeah, I live. You should just show up. You just should show up. Like, if you know house. me well he enough, loves to, that. He loves you should that. just show up <laughs> and we could hang out and he, we could watch. I'll fix you a cheese sandwich and we can watch. Donnie he Darko will. and then cheers. cheese sandwich. Oh, his one of his world famous yeah. cheese sandwiches. He keeps extra blankets in the dryer and he, yeah. he, he keeps them just toasty just in case. There's there's some right next to the out. end of the couch. You can stretch out with a cozy blanket <laughs> and a pillow. And just and, pull it up over your legs. And you just get nice and cozy. He's got a four screen he's got a four screen TV. You know? Yeah. He's got a nice setup. It's totally I cool. Seen it personally, but yeah. I need to see your setup, man. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Isn't that weird? Isn't that strange? <laughs> Just come over and ha- we could have cheese sandwiches and watch Donnie Darko or Cheers or anything, really. It's a fucking date. Some people have the Super Bowl. That's what we have to look yeah. forward to. Cheese sandwiches. All right. No, that's a good good pick, man. Good pick for your yes. for your first. Uh, do you want to tease you do you want to tease yours? I will. I'll go ahead and tease mine. So the next movie we're gonna talk about is from nineteen eighty seven. Uh, really, my main introduction to Mel Brooks, uh, Spaceballs, uh, at one point for a good, well, I'd say for maybe for up to half of my 20s, up until our as late as, you know, mid-20s, I would have considered this in my top 10 favorite movies, Spaceballs, Mel Brooks, uh, obviously starring uh, Rick Moranis, uh, John Candy at the height of his craze. Uh, and, and a whole bunch of other really hilarious people. From Bill the Pullman. Bill Pullman as Lone Star. Uh, you have 80s mainstays like Kevin K- Kellen Winslow, right? Yes. <laughs> I think he was in the movie. Um, uh, but it, Joan I Rivers? I don't know why Joan Rivers was definitely an, an iconic person in the 80s. The lady whose name movie. I can't say. <laughs> Because I don't know how yeah. to pronounce it, Daphne something. Yeah, she was a Melrose Place person. I yes, think. just just overall beauty, you know, just '80s beauty. Daphne's whatever her name is starts with uh, a but Z. It, it, it's it's a satire. It's 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 parodying. It's a parody movie, and Mel Brooks was great at those types of things. And the, the, this was like his first like big commercial parody, I think. And, uh, you know, he's parodying Star Wars, obviously. So we'll, we'll get into a bunch of that. But I'm also excited because it, it is a favorite movie of mine. It certainly lands in the, you know, top 25 comedies probably for me all the time. I've grown a lot as a person. My music or my, my 
theatrical tastes changed. Uh, so I'm curious going back and I'll, I'll revisit bits and pieces. There's quotes in this. It's a very quotable movie. I still quote bits of the movie to this day for various things. It's you know, in the intro about Napoleon dynamite. Yeah. And uh, I love the movie. It's great. We're going to talk about it. We're going to have a special guest. We're going to have Prince of Pixels. Uh, Mr. Nick Wright's going to excellent to join us. So I'm excited to have him back on the show. And it, I, I'm having him on because it was, it's just that movie as a friend, you know, like you have that friend who you have a movie that you share, like a general shared love for a movie that really is just between the two of you, you know? It's a movie that many people will agree. Oh, that's a fun movie from the eighties, but we that that's a movie like we have we share a bond over that movie because we've watched it so many times. I love stuff so like I'm that. I'm looking that's forward to one of my favorite things yeah. about movies: bring people together. Yes, bring people together. Uh, very, it's going to be very nostalgic talking with Nick about this movie, a movie that we used to watch all the time, and I I doubt either one of us has watched it to completion. You know, recently. So I have it. I own it. I got like the 4K edition that I'm rated. I bought it a while back, but haven't cracked it open yet. So I'm going to check it out on that. Spaceballs, 1987. Let's see. Uh, Spaceballs has got to be playing somewhere. Let's see. Just watch. The amazing website, Just Watch, that I check daily along with IMDb. Pretty much. Pretty much five times a day. Easily. Oh, yes. Easily. Spaceballs. Here we go. Uh, oh, it is available to stream right now on uh, Prime, Amazon Prime Video. If you have, if you have a subscription, you can watch that right now. So be be prepared for uh, Spaceballs. It's gonna be our next movie, movies that we love. Uh, and I guess uh, from there, we'll just play that outro music, right? We'll play that, that sweet in. outro music. Play that sweet, sweet outro music, and we'll we'll just say to you, our our valued listeners, thank you very much for t- uh, listening, rejoining us. Two weeks in a row for you guys. Two weeks in a row. We're going to try and go. Look four. at us. We're going to try and go four for four. Look at us. Consistent. We're That's probably going to do it. Consistencies. Just as as much as we're known for our stance on suicide, don't do it. Don't do it. It took Jonathan Brandis away. Too, Too early. Soon. Too, Too soon. soon. Should still be with us. There should be there should be so many never ending stories right now, but yes. we don't. We've only we should got, be on at least fifteen. Second. We should be at least 15 right now. I've been one of your hosts, Ron Avis. And I've been always, Adam Peterson. Adam, Adam Peterson. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for uh, joining us through that stumbled outro. <laughs> 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 Leave it in just like this. I want you to not fix that up in the slightest. I, <laughs> I want the hard cut. I want the hard cut of the music ending. What I what I might do not knowing quite what to do. What I might do is I might leave yep. in the part where I say, and I'm and then cut it right there to <laughs> and then like that would be like, great. And then boom. And then you're nobody right there. would be the wiser. People are like, Oh, that was really professional. Did, did These they guys are pros. Like Boy, I tell you what.